Really just a pretty brief meditation today on a few verses from Philippians. Um, Aimed mostly, not really aimed, aimed is the wrong word. Aimed implies ammunitions involved. Um, Addressed mostly to the graduates. This is an emotional day for me. It's an emotional day for Pastor Tyler. Um, I hadn't really anticipated being full of uh, emotion like during this time. Um, our son is part of this graduating class, our oldest, oldest son, Nathan. And, uh, you know, the other members of this graduating class had a huge role in welcoming our family to this church um, a year ago and have become very special to us in a very short period of time. And uh, so I'm going to need to put into practice what Tyler asked me about this morning. We were just sitting and talking about, um, as a pastor, how do you turn off the emotion when you have to? Because you know you get into these situations where you have to speak at funerals that are really hard. Um, You just get these times where you're speaking in public, but you're full of emotion, and what do you do? And so we were sharing tricks on, you know, mind tricks on what you can tell yourself and how to turn it turn it off if you need to because you need to make it through. And so I'm not going to tell you what my trick is, but if you want to know, I'll tell you later. But it's happening right now, okay? As I said a few moments ago, a brief meditation on just a few verses from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, okay? Verses 10 through 13 of Philippians 4. Um, let's read the text, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll share this time of the word together. Now, if you're able this morning, um, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the word. This is Paul writing. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Heavenly Father, this um, continuing time in the word is for you um, so that our hearts might be molded, so that our hearts might be changed. We want to give thanks for what we've already experienced this morning and the, the joy and the Um, overwhelming love of Christ that's been poured into our hearts uh, through the gift of music and through communion. And so uh, now we we pray for your grace to sustain us just a bit longer to look into the written word and pray that you would accomplish your purpose in each heart. For Jesus' sake, can we ask in his holy name, amen. Please be seated. 
Um, I hope that there might be something for everybody this morning, even though I'm addressing um, the graduates mainly. I guess you could think of it, if you wanted to, as a Christian commencement speech. (laughs) Um, Graduates, I know that you have learned that knowledge is important. We get that message from lots of sources, that knowledge is important. I know that you also know that passion is important. We get that message from lots of sources that passion is important. And I don't have statistics on these things, but I would imagine that among the most popular commencement topics is something along the lines of, um, for someone to get up at commencement and say, okay, you're done with school, now find what you're passionate about and go and do it. And I'm pretty sure that I went to two commencements a few years ago, and that message was at both. Um, That's pervasive. You know, find what you're passionate about and go do it. And, you know, I think that's a a good message. I want to add my voice to those that are saying um, knowledge is important and passion is important. And I do think that finding what you're passionate about and going and doing it is a great thing. And a thing you should try to do. But let me ask you a question. What if you can't do what you're passionate about? What if because of life circumstances, some family thing, some health thing, what if you can't do what you're passionate about? What if you're just not getting the job? What if your passion is to be a writer, but you keep getting rejected by all the publishers? And what if your passion is to be a missionary, but for some reason the funding is not coming in and you can't get there? What if you want to be a mom or a dad? What if that is your great passion in life, to be a mom or a dad and... God has not provided the spouse or God has not provided the child. Or what if the unimaginable happens and you're sailing along and all of a sudden an accident or a diagnosis and and everything changes just like that and now you can't speak or walk or whatever What if you can't do what you're passionate about? And also, the the companion to that, what if you have to do what you're not passionate about? What if you have to work a job that you feel like is below you? And what if you never have a job that you would call fulfilling? What if we find out that 75% of our lives are spent doing the necessary things that we're not passionate about? Things that are work and things that are taxing and things that we maybe never expected to do. So, you know, I agree with the message, find out what you're passionate about and do it. But it's not a complete message. It's an incomplete message that can't see you through all of the circumstances of life that you'll encounter. 
But I want you to know that there is a message that can see you through all of the circumstances that you will encounter. And it's given to us by the Apostle Paul. Think about who's writing this section that we just read. Paul, the one of unparalleled knowledge. And Paul, the one of unrivaled passion. When you think about the, the combination of knowledge and passion in, combined in one person in the scriptures, I don't know about you, Paul's the first person I think of. Knowledge and passion, and yet it's this Paul, Paul the knowledgeable one, Paul the passionate one, who helps us understand the something else that's needed. He writes here in this passage that he's learned a secret about life. And he shares with us what the secret is. So let's learn it too. Okay? Let's look again at what he writes here in verses, just in verses 10 through 12. And if you'll permit me to put his comments into context, I think it will really help our understanding to think about what was going on in his life when he wrote these things. And it will pay off in a more accurate understanding of the passage. So he's in jail when he's writing. He's writing from jail. He's in jail for his faith, for preaching the gospel. And at the end of the letter, we're reading the very end of the letter, he begins to write about his financial situation. He's writing to a group of people. He's writing to a church, a group of Christian believers in a place called Philippi. These are people that had been very, very generous to him in the past. Financially, they had supported him. We learn that in verses 14 through 16, which we did not read. That information would come to us if we had read further. They'd been very generous to him in the past, but they hadn't sent him another gift in a long time. That's the very first thing we learn in verse 10. It appears to be not their fault that they hadn't sent another gift to him in a long time. We read, um, Indeed, you were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It appears the the opportunity was not there to send a gift, but now they have sent a gift to Paul by means of one of Paul's friends. And Paul is writing here to say thank you. This is kind of a tricky thank you for Paul to write. I know, graduates, that you're going to be spending a lot of time writing thank yous in the next few weeks. You might have some tricky ones. We've all written tricky thank yous where you write to someone and want to convey gratitude without really valuing the gift that you received. Or you get three or four of the same thing and you know you're not going to use what the person gave to you because you're going to take it back to the store, but you still write to them as if it was going to be really valuable to you, right? Those are tricky thank yous to write. Paul's got a tricky thank you to write. On the one hand, he wants them to know how happy their gift made him. He wants them to know, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that... Now at length you have revived your concern for me. I rejoice greatly. Okay, your gift made me really happy. He wants to convey that on the one hand. How happy he was to get their gift. But on the other hand, he wants them to know 
that he really was okay without it. And that's tricky, isn't it? How do you express great joy over a gift that makes the giver feel really happy that they gave the gift, but at the same time express that you were doing just fine without it? That's the line that Paul is trying to walk here. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Paul wants them to know, I wasn't in need. I didn't consider myself needy. I was okay without your gift. My joy over your gift doesn't have anything to do with being able to buy a new cloak or a new pen or something to make life in prison more comfortable. Doesn't have anything to do with what I can get because of your gift. Paul explains down at verse 17 that the joy that he has over their gift is the joy of seeing the church continue to be generous. That's the joy that he has. It's a joy over seeing the church continue to be the church. In verse 17, he writes, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Okay, so his joy is not over what the gift does for him. His joy is over what the gift says about them. That's where his joy comes from. The the church is still so generous and doing so great and remembering the, the jailed missionary. Yes, the fruit that increases to your credit. Isn't that just like Paul? That's amazing. If I were in his position, I would be so happy that I get to buy something new or something fun, something for myself because my life is so hard and I'm in jail and I get this influx of money. This is wonderful and Paul is so different from me. He's got this other thing going on called contentment. That's the word of the day, contentment. Verse 11 Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, whatever situation I am in, to be content. Contentment is our word of the day. It's not going to be a popular choice at commencement ceremonies this year or any year. Contentment is not a celebrated virtue in our country. It's barely a celebrated virtue in the church. But it is the one thing that should be added to your knowledge and your passion. This other thing called contentment. Paul, the knowledgeable one, Paul, the passionate one, commends to you this other thing called contentment. Now we need to get a handle on what exactly the word means. Contentment is not complacency. It's not settling for less. It's not being resigned to whatever happens. The word in the original, so the word that we translate content... The word in in the original really means something closer to self-sufficient. 
self-sufficient in this sense, not dependent on circumstances for well-being. What a thought. The word really means something closer to self-sufficient and self-sufficient in this sense, not dependent on circumstances for well-being. Paul doesn't need his circumstances to be favorable in order to be well. He's saying, in effect, I have learned to not be mastered by life's circumstances. And he talks about some of those circumstances in verse 12. Some of them are negative. I know how to be brought low, I know how to be in hunger. I know how to be in need. Those are all negative, difficult circumstances. He also talks about positive situations. He talks about being familiar with abundance and having plenty. And then he adds this umbrella item. In any and every circumstance. So in the worst, in the best, everything in between, none of those things master me. They do not unhinge me. They don't control my disposition. I am not dependent on circumstances for my well-being. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be that way? Not dependent on circumstances for our well-being. To be able to look at a large financial gift coming to us and say, thank you very much for that gift, but I was okay without that. I am just happy about what the gift says about you. How can he look at money with such personal indifference? How can he be okay in every situation? That seems like a a dream to us that a person could be that way. What's going on in his heart? Why is he different? How is he different? How can we be like that? Because I know there's nothing in me that can be like that. I get mastered by the circumstances of life seemingly all the time. Paul tells us how he can be that way. He tells us what the secret is. This is the last thing. In verse 13, we see the secret revealed. This is his secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Famous verse, maybe your favorite verse. Paul presents this thought, this truth as the secret to his contentment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, now three brief observations just about that verse and then we're done, okay? Three observations about verse 13, the secret to contentment. Here's the first one. First of all, Christ is the source of contentment. Christ is the source of contentment. See, the secret is that the Christian has a strengthener. An outside source of strength through which and by which contentment in any situation is possible. See, the strength to be this way doesn't come from Paul. You and I look at these verses, like Paul writing about how he can be okay and content in every situation. We look at that and think, yeah, I could never do that. Paul would say amen to that. That's exactly right. 
He, he can't do it either. The reason he's saying this is to let them know that he has an outside source of strength, a strengthener. I can do all things what, by myself. No, through him who strengthens me. It's someone else's power. He's empty. He's got nothing, but he's drawing on the power of Christ. And ironically, this verse is often used as what we might call a Superman verse. We, we put it on T-shirts and we put it on bumper stickers and we think like, well, plugging into Christ means that I'm going to be able to leap over tall buildings. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, like jump over a tall building or lift a minivan off of a pet. Whatever I need to do, I can do it. And it's somewhat of a, a Superman verse. At least that's how it's been taken on culturally for us. And the the irony is that Paul's actually trying to make sure that the Philippians don't view him as a superman. After declaring his ability to be content, he makes sure they know it doesn't come from him. So in context, we would be better off coming away with this meaning. I am able to go through all circumstances with contentment. Through Christ who strengthens me. I know how to be brought low. I can do that through Christ. I know how to abound. I can do that through Christ. Paul's not a superman. He's a content man. Because of Jesus Christ. That's our first observation. Christ is the source of contentment. Okay, here's the second one. Contentment is a process. Contentment is a process. I, I know you may be thinking, you know, after the first observation about Christ being the source of contentment, you may be thinking, yeah, that's great, but I just don't feel that way about Jesus right now. Like, I, I don't feel like I could be content with him. What is there in Jesus that will satisfy me? Maybe Paul sees it, and maybe you, the one speaking up front this morning, maybe you see that, but I don't see that. I don't think I could be content with Christ. Notice what Paul writes, verse 11. In verse 12, I have learned. Two times. I have learned. I have learned. You know what that means? It means that Paul wasn't always this way. He had to learn contentment. There was a time when he didn't know how to be content through the strength of Christ. He learned it over time. So what's the application for us? View your circumstances, both good and bad, as opportunities to learn contentment. So, you interview and you don't get the job. The prayer sounds like this. Father, you know what I need and have promised to provide for me. Every plan of yours is good. This plan is good and I trust you in spite of my disappointment. Strengthen me now to rely on you as I wait and look for my next opportunity. 
And let me be content today with what I have in Christ. Or you interview and you do get the job. You get the job of your dreams and you, the prayer sounds like this. Father, what a gift. Help me not to love the gift more than the giver. Help me to be a good steward of this job for as long as you have me here and help me not to find my contentment in what I do to make an income, but help me to remain content with what I have in Christ. See, both the bad and the good are opportunities to learn contentment. And as we go through these cycles of the difficult and the wonderful, our relationship with God becomes the dominant reality of our lives and we desire to just stay in step with him just like Paul did as he experienced these great highs in ministry of seeing a wonderful response to the word and these great lows in ministry with fear and danger and pain so first observation Christ is the source of contentment second contentment is a process finally last thing Contentment is the fruit of possessing a greater treasure. Contentment is the fruit of possessing a greater treasure. The reason that Paul can say that he's content in whatever situation he encounters is that he already has the greatest treasure in the world. A treasure that can't be improved upon or detracted from. Christ has become his treasure. Go back and read the way that he writes about Jesus in chapter three. How the consuming goal of his life, his whole purpose for living has become a greater knowledge of Jesus. Just to know him better not to do anything for him, not to climb great walls or do great feats. He wants to know Jesus better and the power of his resurrection. That is his overwhelming passion and goal. And that's how you can be content in every circumstance, good and hard, when your great treasure in life is to know Christ Everything you experience draws you closer to him. Difficulty, you're running to him with the pain and finding common ground. Every hard circumstance, every evil circumstance is an opportunity to know him better. And every good circumstance, every loves, lovely circumstance, every wonderful thing that happens is an opportunity to gush over all the grace that's been poured into your life. By Jesus. Everything draws you to Him sin, success, abundance, and need. And you know, Paul is just writing to these dear people who gave to Him so sacrificially. These people that He loves so much, and they've given of their their own livelihood. They gave him another gift and he's so happy. He just wants to say, thank you so much for your gift, but there's something that you have to know. Thank you for that drink of water that you gave me, but you have to know that my cup was already full. I didn't need anything else 
because of what I have in Christ. There wasn't room for it anymore. So yeah, I rejoiced over your kind gift, but it didn't add to my joy in Christ. And the absence of a gift from you had not taken away from the joy that I have in Christ. I am content with him. And so all of you listening, in particular the graduates, it is to this same contentment in Christ that I direct you as your all-consuming passion by any means necessary and in whatever situation to know him. Congratulations, students, and most of all, thank you for the ways in which you have served our body. Your church loves you. Amen. Father, we, um, we hold our hearts out to you and say, take them to a greater degree than you've had before. I know that there are people here and people listening who are experiencing really, really hard circumstances. And I pray that to them, Christ would be this great strengthener of their life and that he would be their greatest treasure, that they could take those hard circumstances and say, Father, thank you for the way this is drawing me closer to Christ. Only divine power can do that. And I pray for those who are experiencing elation and and just joy incomprehensible and times of plenty and times of abundance that those things would not capture their hearts, that they would receive them for what they are but continue to find their great joy simply in the fact that they have Jesus. He is wonderful. We believe in his name. We confess him as our treasure. Amen.